Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Mastering Dungeons. I'm your host, Sean Merwin. Teos is on a two-week retreat of sorts, so I am tapping some of the game designers I know and love to come talk about their games for our main segment and to talk about anything they want. And I have with me this week, Rich Lescouflair. Hey, Rich, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Sean, thanks for having me on. Oh, it is my pleasure. I cannot wait to hear your take on all the news and all the thoughts and then get into talking about Espergenesis, which is your fifth edition uh, version of a science fiction, uh, science fantasy, science fiction role playing game. Would that sum it up? Yes, that would sum it up. Awesome. So we'll do that in our main segment. But first, we will get to all the goodness of the week, starting with our listener corner. So. Richard Gubatos I Gubatosi five five three seven via YouTube says Fate sounds like an awesome system, but aspect building seems hard to explain and harder to master. Where can we find dozens of good examples other than inside the book? Watching and hearing Sean Teos and Mike create a campaign and characters together would be invaluable. That would be fun, and maybe we'll get the time someday. Uh, But we do have other great resources out there that you can see to get get the hang of creating aspects, which is such a huge part of of fate. Uh, In our show notes and on the YouTube channel where we talked with Mike, we put a bunch of shows. We have the Saving Throw show running a fate version of Black Bag Detectives. The Saving Throw show also did a Tempting Fate campaign and a Buffy the Vampire campaign using Fate. Uh, Q Times runs a Fate core game, uh, also a Fate of Cthulhu game, the Fate version of uh, Call of Cthulhu. And then Shenanigans also runs a Fate game. And those are all there for you to see how the system works. And there's another great resource. It's a two-part comic strip by up to four players that we uh, put in our show notes. That's www.uptofourplayers.com. Ready to roll, Fate Core Rules. So there's a ton of valuable content out there to show you the ins and outs of creating aspects for for Fate. So thank you, Richard, for that question. Uh, Next, we have Wireless Kid via YouTube. Uh, You talked about 13th Age being a story-centric game, and you compared it to Fate, which is a narrative game. It seems to be a theme with games you've covered so far by rereading the one... And rereading the one D&D playtest packet for the survey the other day, I was struck by how Wizards of the Coast seems to be taking D&D in the other direction. Uh, I'm reminded of Jeremy Crawford discussing their intention to remove, quote, Mother May I game mechanics that rely on a player needing a DM's permission to do something. And I see things like the if this, then that style of the influence action being a part of that. Uh, I've never paid any attention, uh, any addition other than fifth. So I don't have a proper frame of reference for this, but as folks who have, does it feel to you like the pendulum is swinging back toward an era of less narrative in the design of D and D? That's a long question, but a, a great question. Uh, I'm going to go first, and then I will let Rich chime in if he, if he so feels. Uh, Absolutely. I can't say that I've ever seen an iteration of D&D that has rules that are particularly narrative-driven. 
Uh, some editions may have been more and some may have been less narrative focused, but compared to a truly narrative based game like a Powered by the Apocalypse, Apocalypse game and Fate, uh, th there's no comparison. So uh, you can play D&D &D just fine with little to no narrative involvement. In fact, I once ran a 4E game at a convention where the players sat down and they said, we don't care about the story or role-playing, we just want to play the combats. And I went, oh, okay, well, let me explain to you the story. Just so, No, they said, we literally want you to set up the first combat, we will play it, then erase the board and set up the second combat. We don't care about the story, we don't want to role-play, just give us, give us the good stuff, give us the combat. So D&D &D has never been that narrative game that we are going to go on and discuss. Uh, and I can't say it's moving closer or further away because we haven't really seen what one D&D &D is going to be yet. They may have experimented moving a little bit in one direction or a little bit in the other, but it's not like they're going to drop the, the D20 and just turn it into you know a game where you are passing the baton and and playing. Um, and I would love to see a version of D&D &D that goes a little bit more narrative, but you'd have to change the rules quite a bit to do that. And one of the benefits of D&D &D is if you know the rules well, um, you can run a very tightly, uh, tightly wound game without the need for the narrative. So I don't see that changing. What do you think, Rich? Well, I I can say that I mean that that is true. That D and D, I mean, regardless of of how much you put into it, narrative wise, it is you know it does have wargaming roots, and mm. that's what has carried forward in its game mechanics, no matter which edition has come out. It's 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 board focused. It's it's combat centric. Uh, that being said, there has been a lot, uh, well, actually, <laughs> let me go back and go on your comments for, for 4E, uh, that I did notice that it, there has been a lot of, uh, 4E games. There have been a lot of 4E games that I've, I've attended where it was really just, just do the combats. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I can't, I, I can see where there's appeal to that, but there are a lot of books particularly like in, in in the dungeon master's guide for every edition that suggests that you can run D, D as at least a a a somewhat narrative uh a somewhat narrative game it's its problem is that its narrative rules are not as robust or nearly as robust as as the the combat portion of it and i wish it was uh you know I, I i don't i don't think the answer really is to change the rules to make it a a, a story-centric or narrative focused game i've run D, D campaigns where we we spent you know four or five sessions without rolling a single die and it's 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 really you know dependent on on the players and the dungeon masters i i think there i think it would serve the game if there were rules added to make a a uh, a narrative focused adventure or narrative focused campaign where 
the where the rules are as robust as the combat rules i i, I think you know that balance so that way you have a choice i, I think that would be great mm-hmm. uh but yeah other than that i i can i can definitely see the point yeah i mean the, the problem with role-playing games in general or the challenge i shouldn't say because it's not a problem is right you have rules and you have the story that comes from those rules and there's always that tension because you can play a game and you can be telling a story with your friends but then you get to the point where the dice or the rules have to do something and mm-hmm. the, the narrative then there's no rules to pull the narrative through those those rules it's just okay we stop telling the story dice come out and we roll things once everything's been resolved okay now we'll pick up telling the story again where fate has aspects that you can spend mechanical currency to continue the story to make up pieces of the story through those aspects D doesn't have anything like that and what might not be a, a better game for having something like that without a grand overhaul of of the way the rules work so you know it's a good question and it's it's something that any game designer has to contend with i think when when they're building games or you know modifying games to to fit the system and the setting that they're trying to create. Cool. Next, we will hear from Kurt Google via YouTube. Two questions from Kurt. One, 5e puts treasure tables and magic items in the Dungeon Master's Guide, but many systems put this information in the same book that the players use. Can you please speak to this design intent and the pros and cons of this placement? Is it just so more folks will buy them as that information is considered essential, but the rest isn't? So we're going to start with that question. Rich, do you want to, do you want to take this one first? Uh, sure. Um, I honestly don't uh, believe that magic items, I, you know, and, and, and uh, I, I know you're, <laughs> my response is probably going to be similar to yours, right? Take, you know, take it away. Magic items were never, yeah, magic items were, especially in 5e, never really an absolute necessity. They they aren't. Uh, the, the player's handbook is what you need to create a character and play in an adventure. And, you know, those things like magic items and, and, and the rules that are found in the Dungeon Master's Guide are mostly optional uh you can fight you can level up and fight any creature in the monster manual without ever picking up a plus one weapon mm. and uh that's because of the way that they had put together put together the math it's the way that like you know bounded accuracy works and and, and all of the bounded mechanics all of that was was pre-baked into the math when when the game brought out the magic, magic items do make things more fun mm-hmm uh, but it's, I, I actually think it's better that they did not make it a, a necessity for the game because then it, you know, it prevents that whole kill something, win the item, replace with better item. And that's like your entire focus for, for the, you know, for leveling your character. And it honestly takes away from the, that whole narrative focus we were just talking about before. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's strange because, you know, in first and second edition, I think this is my opinion. Magic items weren't necessary, but a, you didn't have a lot of powers unless you were a spellcaster. Magic items were the special things that you could do. If you were a fighter, 
Right. Unless, you know, your your plus four defending sword was the cool thing you got to do other than smacking something 12 times. And so they were sort of necessary for the fun aspect of it. In fourth edition, magic items were baked into the math at the start of the game. So you did need them to have actual the math work out. For fifth edition, they removed that necessity to have the magic items be the cool things you can do because all characters can do cool things over their levels and you don't need them for the math. So they become this problematic thing that if you do give a lot of magic items out, you're ramping up the power level of your characters more than the game had intended. So it's magic items have always been that, that problematic part of the game for me as the additions have, have gone on. And I don't think that they are necessarily essential. And so I think having them in the Dungeon Master's Guide does put the put the choice of whether to give them out or not more in the hands of the Dungeon Master than the player, which is where it should be, I think, for 5th edition. I think we agree on that, Rich. I think we agree on it, yeah. Okay, <laughs> cool. So, so part, part two of this question from Kurt Google is, I think mundane but useful items and sacred or culturally relevant objects are often overlooked as treasure. Also, I love monster harvesting rules. Are there other types of rewards or treasures that you would like to see in a new Dungeon Master's Guide? Uh, personally, I love monster harvesting rules. They do, they do for me what magic items are supposed to do to make players feel. I added a whole system of salvage and, and uh, item creation in the Grim Hollow Monster Grimoire because I just hate handing people treasure. Oh, you killed the 12 gnolls. Here's a plus one sword. I would rather have you find the, the either using their demon riddled bones or iron ore that they've stolen to create your own thing because that gives the whole system more gamification, more choice. Now you might have a choice. What do you want to make with that iron ore? Or what do you want to make with those bones? Do you want to make the sword or the axe or the shield? Uh, Now, do you have the time to make that? You might have to make a choice, a story choice, that you do you want to take the month that it would take to get that iron or those bones in the right condition? Or do you have an adventure that you need to go out on? So it, it just it breathes more life into the campaign for me when you can do something like that. And it gives you uh, choices for campaigns. Oh, do you, you need this sword to kill this dragon? Well, to get that sword, you need these pieces. So your adventuring revolves around that. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'll, I'll expand on, on uh, what you're saying. And it also allows more for downtime, which is something like lifestyle and downtime is something that constantly gets overlooked in a D&D game. And when you're able to find tools and materials and things that you can actually spend time doing to, to grow your character, it, it breathes a lot more life uh, into the game. And I will point out, actually, there's another uh, a, a book, a salvaging, sort of a salvaging guide, if you will, that you worked on 
uh, for the Guild of Depths, which is the Eberron one, which mm-hmm. is awesome, which you know allowed you to get like your know, materials and and salvage that you could put towards your stronghold or your uh, you know, uh, or, or to, or to, you know, expand on, on strongholds and vehicles. And I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that's, that just, you know, opens up a whole new part of the game that only really gets briefly mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will also say that, um, just for myself, another thing that I'd like to see in the DMG, which is another social aspect is a little more on like a, like a, an actual faction system. Like mm-hmm. maybe there are, treasures and tools and items that you can find to uh increase your station or to increase your uh your relation to another npc or another faction and you know that in itself could be kind of the same as as building a stronghold. yeah that's a that's a great point it it all talking going back to the narrative part right it can all work together to make important decisions both for the mechanics of the game and for the the uh, narrative that comes out of play by by doing things like that that's a that's a great uh that's a great point well we got through everyone uh who chimed in we will get to more next week as well but now i want to talk a little bit about some news because we had some news drop this week Uh, the first is that D&D Direct is happening and has happened. Due to the magic of podcast timelines, D&D Direct has not happened yet, but by the time you hear this, it has happened. And next week, uh, we will cover all of the news and thoughts that uh, came out at D&D Direct. Are you going to watch D&D Direct, Rich? I'm going to try. Yeah. I, 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 can't, uh, I can't promise. I would love to. It will have happened uh, Tuesday, March 28th at 9, p- 9 a.m. Pacific time. So not, those of you who, for some reason, can reach into the past and hear us recording this, uh, now you know what, t- what time it was or will be. But we did get a new D&D community update page. So we saw from wizards that they created this community update page and now it has a permanent place on D&D Beyond on the home page if you go to the media drop down in the top banner um, some things that they've added now is the uh, update to the D&D direct announcement there's also going to be learn to play weekends in the US and Canada on April 7th through 9th so just a, just a week or two away um, there will be a 30-minute learn-to-play demo at these learn-to-play weekends called Voyage to Stormwreck Isle that leads directly into the starter set, that uh, the last starter set they released. There will be a fourth-level adventure, which is Prisoner 13, w- which is in Keys to the Golden Vault. And then there will be more at these stores, which you can read about on dndbeyond.com. I was excited to hear that they were doing this again because they sort of go back and forth with these these weekends that they push to game stores and everyone gets excited and then they don't do them again for you know months or years in some cases. Years, with, yeah. With, with COVID, that's obviously uh, a reason to to slow down that. But 
Now, Chris Tulak, one of the things that Chris did when he joined Wizards was start creating these programs, which D&D Encounters became probably one of his biggest successes. And so I'm waiting to see if they can get back into that, uh, get into that rhythm of supporting game stores by giving content that will draw people to stores. Yeah, same here. And it, it's, it's uh, I mean, it makes it so much easier. It's especially, you know, through the COVID times, right? Probably one of the most common things I hear is it's hard to find people. Well, mm-hmm. this makes it a lot easier to find people because even after the events are over, you might have a gaming group. You might yeah. have a place to go to that you didn't even know existed as a gaming store. Mm-hmm. You know, when I moved down here, it was rough to find gaming stores that had events. Mm-hmm. And And now... You know, and hopefully there, there will be a uh, there will be a calendar and also a place to find the nearest gaming store, which you uh, can attend. There's also more news on the 2023 Creator Summit. Uh, that's one of the reasons Teos will not be recording for the next couple of weeks, is he will be attending this. And it was you know, controversial when it was first announced because first it was leaked and and then people were, well, how come I wasn't invited? And then some people who said, how come I wasn't invited ended up getting invited? And there was a in-person version and a digital version. But what this article talks about is sort of why they're doing this and where it will be going forward. The article says, this is only the start of our renewed conversation with content creators. It's not a one and done. There are thousands of creators and community members that we want to talk to. This event can include them all, but it's important to take that first step in the process. So that's what we wanted to hear. We wanted to hear that mm. this that this will be a continuing thing. Um, the invitee list is said to balance across different aspects of the community to maximize the quality of conversation. So hopefully there will be content creators like podcasters and bloggers and and streamers but also game designers and maybe even store owners and publishers and other folks who can all have a conversation about about these things Uh, the primary goal for this uh, wizard said is to listen to the community a recap of these conversations will be shared on on this community update page and they see this as a learning process over time and they encourage feedback but say we encourage you to direct that feedback to Wizards of the Coast and not at individuals or fellow members of the D&D community. So, a, you know, a place for this feedback to go where the people who can actually do something about it will get this feedback. Um, and the event list at the summit was updated to include a movie screening. Oh, no, sorry. The events of, of the D&D update were updated to talk about a movie screening at GaryCon, which just ended uh, yesterday, and then Joe Manginello discussing the 50th anniversary documentary that he is working on. So what, what, what's your thought on both this community update page and the Creator Summit, Rich? I am experiencing a heavy amount of FOMO for GaryCon. I no. wish I was able to attend. I tried. <laughs> it, it, it didn't happen. I really, I really would have wanted to go. I see so many great picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going there. Uh, as far as the creator summit, everything everything that gets leaked is is already on a on a downturn. <laughs> yeah. as, as, as soon as soon as it, social media gets its hands on it, uh, I am happy that there was uh, some. Uh, I, I'll just I'll just say it was quickly added. 
you know, uh, details in, in regards to the summit because creator summit could mean so many different things. Creator of what exactly? And and you know, it's content. There are so many different types of content. Uh, that point was uh, actually, I, I think I heard from Teos in conversation. I am extremely happy that that he's one of the people going there to to represent uh, the gaming community as he has, you know, a, a view on a lot of different sides yep. of things. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Uh, it's good that it is going to be a continuing conversation, but I'm going to, I'm also going to emphasize your point, you know, for people on social media or for people, you know, or for anybody watching, uh, watching this or the, the creator, uh, the creator summit, leave people alone and let them do their thing. I mean, you know, Wizards is doing this, you know, for feedback from the community. Uh, the people that are going there are going there, you know, in good faith. This entire thing is is happening in good faith. And, you know, anybody that, you know, wants to wants to give their opinion and, and share it, you know, that, that are going to be there are going to do it in the best way they know how. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that's information that should be uh you know taken I, I i i would say you know with with gratitude because we wouldn't have it otherwise yeah yep if, if this community is going to grow and thrive we need to get rid of the negativity uh while still understanding that there's right there's things that you can call out things that right. things that are wrong but you should also go in with good faith and and join the community rather than rail against the community. So hopefully we'll see a lot of that coming out of it. And that happens next week. On D&D Beyond, there was a Choose a Path prequel to the latest D&D starter set put up. What's this, you ask? It's called D&D B Before the Storm. Uh, so D&D Beyond Before the Storm. And it's a choose-your-own-adventure-style digital game where you can choose your character, you get a detailed description of some of the game mechanics, etc. I did not see this announced anywhere. I just happened to come across it. And it's at dndbeyond.com slash begin, B-E-G-I-N. And I played through part of it, and it was actually, at first I was like, "Uh, what's this going to be? It was quite fun. Uh, You know, it says... Welcome to D&D. First, let's choose a character. And it asks you, do you want to just choose a character or figure out who you want to be? And it it would ask you, do you want to sling spells or sneak around or hit things with your big axe? And then if you choose those, it points you in the right direction. And then you start playing the adventure. You get a description and uh, you you know click along and it tells the story. And then finally you get to a point where you have to make a choice. And when you do have to make a choice, I chose a rogue. So when you do have to make a choice, it was, right, do you want to try to sneak past the guard or do you want to try to lie and walk past the guard telling them that you're a member of the club or whatever? And then you you choose and it tells you exactly what your bonus is. If you try to sneak, you're going to be at plus five. If you try to to uh, lie your way through, you're, you're going to be at a plus three. And you get to choose. And then it shows a, die, a 20-sided die rolling. And it tells you, since you're trained in this and your dexterity is this, you get to add a plus five. And you got a 17 total. And then it gives you the consequences. And I, most of my die rolls were, 
were successful. I don't know if that is meant to happen or if that was just random, but I did fail one check. Uh, it wasn't an important check. And, you know, it said, oh, you try to lie and the person calls you out on it. What do you want to do now? And so I thought, well, that's pretty, that's really pretty cool. It, it is much more complex than I thought it would be, but it does a really good job for, for a simple little text choose your own adventure style game to, to do that. I did not go any, I did not go any further than, than just the initial little scenes. Um, and so I didn't get into a combat. I don't know how that would work. But or even if there is combat, but it was it was kind of fun and it's a it's a neat introduction to to the game. Choose your own adventure is how yeah. I got into into mm-hmm. role playing in general. So. Yeah, in some of the earlier box sets, they did have a choose your own adventure book almost that helps you build your character and tell you what you should play based on the choices you make. So it it has a history of of existence in this sphere. Uh, but this is the first time I've seen it done online and to this degree of specificity and explanation. So I was really, really keen on that. Awesome. I have to check this out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now I have to see if you can double down on the lot. Cause that would be pretty. That, that would be. <laughs> have you seen the D and D movie yet, Rich? I have not. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yet another FOMO thing. Yeah. yeah oh, uh, we we were we were in the middle of a of a a family thing mm-hmm. when I found out that the D and D movie was happening. My my wife and I were like, "What do you mean? What do you mean we missed it?" <laughs> but I heard it's great. I mean, yep. you know, it's coming. It's coming this weekend. So you know, the the, the FOMO won't be for long. Yep. Uh, so- we're gonna go and and see it as soon as possible. Yeah, same here. I I couldn't get to the preview because of family obligations. So, but did you know that if you go to a little town in France, you can get a very very special sneak preview. This town Ooh. is called Donjon in France, and this news comes to us from one of our listeners, Ed. So thank you, Ed, for this great link and tip. So what Ed? I'm going to let Ed uh, Ed's words carry this. While talking about the upcoming D&D movie with a friend from France, he mentioned that there is a French village by the name of Donjon, which happens to have the same spelling as D&D in French, Donjons et Dragons. Uh, as a promotion for the upcoming film, all the residents of the village of Donjon are to be given a free screening of the upcoming movie. The population of Donjon is only 1,046 people. But it's a neat way to advertise the movie. Uh, there are uh, Ed found articles in French, but this has seemed to fly under the radar in the English speaking media. And Ed thought it deserved a mention, and I agree. I think this is. I love seeing wizards doing things like this. Um, obviously, not none of us are going to get to France to see this. I don't think. Uh, but for all the residents of of this small town in France. I think this would be just sort of kind of fun. And, and uh, have, I, I think the, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're a truly, truly diehard fan that like wants that, you know, that, that, that check mark on your, on your bucket list, you know, I went to go see the D and D preview in a small town in France. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. 
Yep. Not, not going to be me. But. No, no. I it's it's a very long swim, so I don't think I'm going to make it. But <laughs> congratulations to the people in this town, uh, and good luck. I hope it uh, goes over well with the not ho- probably non D and D playing residents of Downshall. But you never know. You. That's true. That's true. Maybe people move like there s- simply because of the name. And last but not least on our news segment, we are going to look at a couple of Kickstarters we've been following. The first being Acquisitions Incorporated Series 2. Guess what? It funded. Yay! Mm-hmm. It reached its goal about halfway through. So now we know it will be made and we'll, we'll see if we can get... Uh, get some of the stretch goals or other goodies out of that. And the second one is Forge of Foes we've been following because Teos was one of the contributors. Once this show drops, if it drops on Wednesday like it normally does, you will have two days, less than 48 hours, to get in on the goodness of Forge of Foes. So if you want to see what Teos Scott and Mike have been up to, you should check that out. And they did talk to Lit. Latia and Amy on the D&D Beyond Twitch stream about the project. And what's exciting about that, not only we see what they're doing, but it looks like that might be a regular segment where Latia and Amy and the D&D Beyond team talk to third-party publishers about what they're working on. And it shows this renewed commitment, I think, to Wizards of the Coast, uh, from Wizards of the Coast, in reaching out to third-party publishers like the two gentlemen you see sitting before you. So hopefully that sort of support that we're seeing both in terms of the creator summit and doing screenings at small towns in France and, and this outreach will, will continue um, from wizards. So we, I know I, for one, totally appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And we can see more of it. We could use all the help we can get. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That is no true words have been, Smoking. And now we are going to move on to our main topic here on Mastering Dungeons, which is checking out other role-playing games. If you have been following the show in the last few weeks, you know that we have been looking at other games and comparing them to Dungeons & Dragons to look at the mechanics of these other games as, as a way of not only spotlighting other games, but to show how they contrast with the rules and the setting and the play style of D&D. And we are having Rich on the show because he did something that not many others have done. What he did was take the 5e rules and rather than change the rules, he changed the setting. And then the rules that would change based on the setting that followed. What Rich did was create Espergenesis. Uh, I am going to step back now, Rich, and I'm going to let you explain what Espergenesis is. Espergenesis is well we, we like we like to say it is fifth edition sci-fi. It is a definitive set of rules based off of its own setting and build that is mechanically uh, you know mechanically familiar to any 5e player. Uh, that, that was that was one of the goals. you can you can pick up any of the Espergenesis books, open them up. And the mechanics and the and the terms and the themes, everything in there is completely familiar. And 
that was the second part of the goal is that's where the familiarity ends. You will know how to play Esper Genesis as soon as you pick up the book. If you have ever played D and D, however, it is not D and D. It, it, it feels, it feels different. It's, it's a, it's a different, um, it's a different brand of, of game. And if you're a sci-fi fan of a multitude of different sci-fis, uh, both of the different sci-fi settings or stories, then you'll see something familiar uh, in Aspergenesis. It's it's almost like a it's like an amalgam, big sci-fi sandwich of of really cool things that is uh, that is science fiction. And I we did this because you know D and D we we we've seen the the additions coming out, and one of the one of their goals have always been to make everything as broad as possible for fans of fantasy and magic. And, you know, we wanted to do the same thing for, for science fiction, just, you know, give you a set of tools that, that allow you to make things like star Wars or star Trek or mass effect, or, you know, Undar the Barbarian, or you know, <laughs> whatever whatever comes to mind, you can open it up, and if you love D anD D, you're like, I can do this, and that that was that's the main focus behind the game. So, when did you come up with this idea for doing a science fiction setting with the five E rules? Uh started about about five years ago, <laughs> six okay. years ago, six years ago. Now you mean exactly when? No, no, no. no. Uh, so I, I actually didn't really. I, I, I came up with the idea with help. I made a bunch of of sci-fi gear for, uh, for a you know our five E game, and presented it to people. You know, thinking that I did something cool. Hey, look, I did this. You know, I did this awesome thing. Take a look. And you know, the first two people I showed it to was, what are you going to do with this? It doesn't belong anywhere. And that was the, you know, the light where, well, I need to make something where this stuff fits and, and belongs. And it uh, spiraled into this uh, at first out of control thing that, you know, I, I bundled up together and came up with basic rules for, uh, for Aspergenesis and made sure that I, you know, showed everybody that I could. Uh, we, we brought, Kind of the basics out to uh, to Metatopia one year mm-hmm. to you know set it up in front of people that are familiar with D anD D and and the game designers that were there just to see what the acceptance would be mm-hmm. of such a thing because at the time it was you don't do you don't do that you don't do sci fi and and D anD D and it was very well received so we just kept going. Yeah, just so people know, Metatopia, and correct me if I'm wrong, is sort of a reverse convention, mm-hmm. right? It's you go there to play test games if you're a player, and you go there to play test your game as a designer, but you also have the chance to play with other designers in a sort of workshop environment. So you can review their game, they can review your game, and, and it's a it's a pretty interesting uh, way to look at a convention and look at game design workshopping. Yep. It's a, it's a wonderful convention because you're, uh, 
the, the person that's going in there usually to play games is the presenter and the designers that are there, you know, are there to give you, you know, as much advice as possible, as much help as possible. They've been through exactly the same thing that, that you're going through when you show up there. So yeah, if, if you're, if you're planning on, on going, you know, deep into design, I highly recommend going to at least one of those. Awesome. Now you said feedback was pretty positive. Metatopia is also, it's not like a D and D convention, right? It's, it's no. a, it's all different sorts of role playing games, even board games and, and things like that, if I remember correctly. So did you get any, like, why are you using 5e D and D questions? Yes. <laughs> and, and what was your answer? I did. Uh, well, I, I, my first answer was, you know, uh, the the game is a is a collection of all of my favorite things from my childhood and D was one of those things uh so you know that it lends itself to well at the time you know D was was still growing but it was the game you know after after 5e came out that everyone was familiar with mm-hmm. and i wanted to create something that isn't you know when you when you open up a new game and then there's two sides of things right there there's the there's the mechanics and then there's the setting and then you're trying to when when you're learning the mechanics i mean sometimes it's a good thing you know when you when you have a new game when you, when you're learning the mechanics and it flows into the setting but there's still that learning curve and you know i i actually enjoyed 5e so much you know when it came out it was it was like malleable after uh after looking through it hard enough <laughs> to where i wanted that easy familiarity for everybody already playing dnd to to go ooh and then be able to say i can take anything from my dnd game or i can take anything from this game and i can throw them together cuz honestly part of you know part of sci-fi is fantasy part of sci-fi is able to take fantasy elements and throw them in. So that's that's why I went that route. I bet you were a big fan of Barrier Peaks. Uh, I the, was a, the, yes. the old uh, the old sci-fi D and D adventure from AD and D days. I was a it was probably one of my favorite adventures. Um, one of our current Kickstarters is like a spiritual sequel to that adventure. Mm-hmm. You know that has its own you know fantasy and, and sci-fi mishmash and. Uh, that expedition from the mysterious peaks. It's, it's a sequel uh, from the view of the sci-fi characters that, uh, that go there. So yeah, barrier peaks was great. Uh, I was a big star frontiers, you know, and alternity, uh, you know, the star drive game. I, I, I jumped into all of those as, as, as much as possible. I, I love that as much as I love the fantasy elements. Okay. So, so you you have five e the rules you really love, you have science mm-hmm. fiction eight the the genre the setting or settings throughout the years that that you've loved, uh, and then you you try you marry the two. What were some of the tough game design decisions that you were confronted with as you did this? Uh Probably the very first is is to not look at anything 
<laughs> anything even modern or sci-fi related that someone else might have already been working with or or doing i i just i shut it all out i'm like i'm not i'm not gonna look at anything i'm just gonna do this my own way and you know because i i wanted to remain consistent a a um a popular trend for uh especially now for people that uh that do design for uh D D. Actually, I guess this was this was a popular trend before, and it was popular, you know, even during the 3.5, is they took the main rule system and they broke it down into parts, and then they just kind of like tailored the base of the game to whatever they had found was cool and 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 you know and re-released it and it's like well you know it's it's 5e but i changed this and i changed that and i changed this core mechanic and i changed that main thing and i'm like well then it's not 5e anymore is it you know (laughs) it's it's now something else that uses d20s that you're you know you're it's, it's being called 5e but it's really not and and uh the that was the the hardest thing was avoiding that was avoiding taking the base of the game and altering it. So, you know, I, I, I needed to thematically change some core concepts, but keep them so that they work so that they're compatible with everything that's already been released mm-hmm. and then add whatever needs to be added and then keep those mechanics similar, you know, the, the, uh, the ship mechanics, the, you know, uh, space and, and, you know how to deal with with uh, vehicles. I, I wanted to keep those to where, yeah, they're new rules, but they still use the same base concepts. You know, I you know, I it's a it's a skill, it's a tool. Uh, you know, the the tables kind of you know have like complications, and you go, okay, you know, I've I've seen this table for another thing I've seen in the DM's guide. Now that was the that was harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> So do you have the same sort of base system with races, with classes, with spells, with skills that that 5e has? Yes. Uh, The core manual, which is the player's book, presents the game the same way the D&D player's handbook would, uh, but with, you know, with some with some tweaks, right? You know the, uh, the 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 powers the power system, which is kind of like your spell system. Uh, you know, probably one of the major tweaks is you know the whole thing with you know spell books and spell memorization and things like that. We tossed all that out. So I, I doesn't okay. use any of that. You know, instead there's there's uh, there's talent points, and we uh, you know adapted the point system uh, you know to do that. But mechanically, those function the same. Uh, we put in new subclasses to work with the the base work, uh, the framework of the main classes. Mm-hmm. We created new species to function with the sci-fi setting, just to you know separate itself completely from the fantasy element. And we built a whole lore, a, a whole like you know chain of lore and and a story and a meta plot behind everything that was happening. So. That way, you know, again, so that way it feels different. You're you're diving in with mechanics that you already know how to use, but you already know that you're not playing Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. You can, but you're not. <laughs> you're not necessarily doing that. Uh, 
but then we we went into so the the technician's guide which is kind of like our dm's guide uh we wanted to expand on that and that's where we put in the stuff that's okay well uh dm's guide kind of has a a run of mechanics for a fantasy game no 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 you know these are all completely different that's it's a very different book to where here's how you just kind of create any any species based off of what kind of planet you're from mm-hmm. you know do you have a, a planet with like high gravity do you have a planet you know that's like a you know a, a metropolis in space do you have a you know and then then you're not stuck to the you know the the original race rules or the species rules you can just sort of tailor your character based off of its origin which i thought was cool mm-hmm. so you give players a way to build their own worlds within the within the overall universal setting that you've created mhm we do uh the galaxy uh, so we we also had to we had to create a way to map a galaxy right that we had to scale out everything uh so where we're you know we can't focus on things like dungeons you know those those aren't a thing so instead we have a whole environment chapter that you know the atmosphere how to create um structures and environments how vision works in outer space how you know space travel and using sensors and you know we even put in some tables for you know here's how to build a random town that you roll into on a planet you know on a colony you know here's how to fill in information on planets here's random tables to build a star system there are thousands you know hundreds of thousands of star systems you know just roll a few dice and then you've got it and uh you know has has two suns has you know three you know this planet has three moons so that way you're never stuck there there's a constant expansion cool so one of the things that we talk about when we talk about other games is the concept of the game loop which is when you're sitting down to play how do turns work how does a round work how you know how does the game manage these systems of static uh static what's the word i'm looking for just the the way things are then mm-hmm. what changes based on turns and then how to reassess what the consequences are of each turn so since you went with a 5e system did you mess at all with that considering that now you have probably ray guns and you have you know armor suits and you have these other elements that you need to deal with uh in terms of of the way that turns work we tried uh i tried to keep the the way time functions the same so it's still uh rounds and turns and minutes and hours and we we sort of give like a sci-fi reference uh, to that, since obviously you know you're not on Earth or a or a Earth type planet at all time, so you, re- you reference it in particular ways. But uh, at least you know, even though some of the names are different, the concepts are the same. So the time runs exactly the same. Uh, probably the two things that we that we changed the most uh, was when we implemented ship combat. So uh, ship combat when you have multiple crew members. The ship is your character, and the crew members, their stats, depending on what role they're in, messes with the the base stats of the ship. 
So, you know, the, the pilot's dex and the wisdom and, you know, the captain's charisma and all of those things modify the ship's stats. And then in combat, when the ship goes, the crew has maneuvers and they all, and they all discuss and, and they go. And that's, that's probably the, the biggest change that we made uh, in ships is, is everybody kind of goes through as, as a team, everybody moves as a team and the ship makes uh, functions you know, with team decisions, but it still works in a combat round. That, that was, uh, so that familiarity is still there. One ship goes in its, uh, during its initiative, another ship goes during its initiative. And if you really, really wanted to in that same initiative order, two ships go, and then a group of characters go that are on a planet or on one of the ships or on, and then you can run the entire combat in the same initiative order without, without shifting um without having to have two separate comments so that that takes care of the old star trek problem of there's a problem on the ship and a problem on the planet and everything needs to work together to solve both problems or one problem helping solve the other i like that so could this oh go ahead no no I, i was you know you got those tv episodes right the star trek tv episodes where you know the the ship's getting beat down and then something has to happen on the ship in order for everybody to survive the ship battle. Like somebody in engineering has to do something or that's, that's, that's the feel I was looking for. So how easy would it, would it be able to port that ship combat system into your D and D campaign when you are, you know, doing an airship or, or some other thing where the group needs to work together? Uh, so long as well, we we also have a, a ship construction system in the in the technicians guide, so you can build any kind of ship. And if you thematically port that into airships, for example, and just give them, you know, different styles and different names, and you know, as long as you keep the the hit points and the mechanics and the weapons the same, or you can just use the existing stats, you know, that are there and, and then, you know, theme them to your airship campaign should work pretty seamlessly, honestly. Uh, you know, there, uh, there are, you know, the only thing that prevents D and D characters from being able to fly a starship is the fact that they just don't know how mm-hmm. <laughs> that's it. Get a proficiency and you're good and everything functions the same. I, I was, I was thinking about, doing something similar for uh, Spelljammer, for example, mm-hmm. just kind of expand on that. I haven't had time to write it. <laughs> so, you know, going from ships to monsters, you, you have your core manual, which is the player's handbook, your technician's mm-hmm. guide, which is like the dungeon master's guide. Do you have a monster manual? And how different was it to create monsters in this uh, setting than you would for a D&D game? Uh, we do. It's it's called the Threats Database. It's probably the the biggest difference is that uh, the examples that I had to go off of were things from you know old sci fi novels or comic books or movies, uh, things that have never really been adapted to D and D before, and there isn't anything even thematically similar in the books. To compare them to so uh that that was you know i just had to come up with a way of tackling that creating the 
the stat blocks were were fun. It was a lot of fun because I was able to come up with just crazy things. You know, uh, I I you know made a uh, a group of of robots that are sentient. You know, they they're they're run off of an artificial intelligence, but they exist in two places. The robots exist in physical space, and then there's the Matrix where their artificial intelligence dwells and those have stats and you know taking that taking that concept that isn't uh it doesn't lend towards uh towards fantasy at all that that was a nice thing to introduce so can you in aspergenesis take your small craft and fight a dragon yes absolutely that's and that would be a lot that would be a lot of fun <laughs> That's wicked cool, <laughs> is is what that is, or fight Tiamat in in your larger craft. Uh, Ooh, that would take some that would take some 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 number crunching, but okay, uh, that that would that would uh, that would work. Something like something like Tiamat. Well, I mean, something like Tiamat, for example, uh, you know, is is more. You can definitely take your band of sci-fi characters and and you know and fight Tiamat, but like. So the starships, all of that functions, um, it functions the same as, as combat rules are, but ships all have different sizes themselves mm-hmm. and they have what, what we call hull points. And it's really just hit points times 10 okay. and like, you know, and then they have damage thresholds. And so when I, when I say you need, when, you, when I say you need number crunching, the number crunching isn't Difficult. You know that complicated, yeah. but yeah, it's yeah, it's not that difficult at all. Uh, you can do it. It would just be like just the just the visual aspect of it is like, oh, okay. <laughs> when Tiamat does something to your, you know, something to your starship, you know, I'll just you know, I have to calculate some numbers, but that should be interesting. That's that's really cool. Uh, so, any other lessons that you learned? Any? tips that you have for wannabe game designers out there for taking a system as sort of ingrained as 5e and as tied to this fantasy realm and porting it over to something quite different uh probably the best advice that i could give is well i I guess two two main things one is you know love what you're doing because you're, you're going to get the best out of that. But I think that's advice for any game design of any game. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing something in an already existing sandbox, like, you know, especially something as, as ingrained as 5e, simple is better. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, that I actually think was the goal of the 5e designers from the start. Uh, or at least I would assume so. You know, in, in compared to in compared to older editions, is that you know if you're introducing a new concept, if you already have an existing mechanic that makes it work, just use that mechanic. There's no need to to reinvent the wheel. Keep it simple, and you know, just it's just the way you describe it and you present it. Because in in the end, like role playing, going going back to the very beginning of our discussion, mm-hmm. regardless of of uh of of like you know which dice hit the table for what skill or what 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 weapon in the end it is actually a narrative game 
you know, you're you're immersing yourself into a story, into an adventure, and that description alone changes everything that you're doing. Okay, so we've talked about the core manual, uh, the technician's guide, and the threats database. Are there other products available for Esper Genesis? We have uh, we do have adventures that are available on drive through. We are working on uh, Expedition from the Mysterious Peaks, which is which is its own sort of Esper Genesis combo five E fantasy adventure path. We have things on the horizon. Uh, What we're looking at right now is we uh, probably a a couple months ago we had launched our own community content program on on drive through. So anybody that wants to get into Esper Genesis and design stuff can just, you know, take any of the mechanics out of the book and and you know, create adventure content for for other people to play. I was uh, really excited about that until until we actually get more books out. Uh after Expedition, I think the uh the big thing that we're looking at doing is kind of like a uh a a guide to the galaxy, so to speak, that that introduces uh, kind of like a part part setting book, part Xanathar's guide kind of thing. We're going to introduce a whole bunch of different concepts that exist in the, the the setting, and then new mechanics to go with it. So, speaking of adventures, how do adventures flow in in Esper Genesis? Is it similar to D anD D in that you you know you have a few encounters and then short rests, long rests, that sort of rhythm? Yeah, it works almost uh, almost exactly the same. Well, until you have to repair your ship, that's a whole different deal. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's downtime. That's yeah, that's downtime. Which another thing that we we introduced. Uh, so there is the you know the encounters, the adventures. They work very similar, you know, thematically to to fifth edition. We changed a little bit about on, on uh, how characters develop. Um, you know, magic items are not a thing, are not a sci-fi thing. So uh, instead, we we tinkered with that system and created a more of like a mod system. There there are mods for weapons, there are mods for armors to give armor properties, and then there are like you know special forms of sci-fi gear that you can use that are kind of magic items. But you know then. We have your, you know, you can upgrade your your weapon, or you can upgrade your suit of armor, uh, depending on depending on its type, uh, and you can also get cybernetics that uh, replace any of those. You can upgrade your vehicle, you build a drone, and you can upgrade that. And we sort of incorporated all that into a, a lifestyle chapter where you can spend downtime actually doing things. So we 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 like that uh, for for at least like the ability for you know for the GM to expand on a story while the characters do things and they can they can contribute to that. Awesome. So you mentioned uh, drive through. Is there any other place that you can go to buy these books or adventures? Yes, uh, they are. Uh, in in print, you can you can find them at your friendly local gaming store. And if you do not find them at your friendly local gaming store, you can go up front and and ask them to to place an order. You know, we we uh, 
They are in distribution. Our distributor is uh, Studio Two Publishing. So, you know, if you uh, really want to get it, you know, right away and, and order some physical copies, you can order it through them. You can find our books on Amazon as uh, they order from Studio Two. So, yeah, there, there are multiple different avenues. Awesome. So anything else that you want to talk about Espergenesis 5e or anything before we close? I am uh, I am very interested in what in in in, in uh, the the path that one D and D is going in. Mm-hmm. So you know, uh, just in terms of of myself, you know, uh, the the design that I did for for Espergenesis was in lieu of being you know as compatible with what's out as possible, even you know even third party stuff. So I, I, you know, whenever, whenever I see something new coming out for D and always, always look to see, you know, and say, okay, is this still compatible with what's going on? And, and that's, that's going to be my, my focus uh, going forward is, is yeah. how to, how to keep that right now. It seems like, it seems like a lot of the things that they're doing are, are character centric. Mm-hmm. So that, uh, you know, gameplay, you know, even if you pull out like old 5e stat blocks, you can still use them, which keeps value to everything. Yeah. Well, we're all keeping an eye on the (laughs) one D&D playtest packets and progress to uh, would you consider publishing more under uh, one of these Black Flag or Orc or one of these other licenses? I I have. I'm after the after the OGL thing mm-hmm. unfolded. Um, I you know I had a, a few serious discussions, and we were wondering if we were even going to bother with a license, uh, as you know we're uh, probably the other consideration that we're going through right now is is releasing our own sort of uh, uh, system reference document mm-hmm. for you know, the, the Espergenesis sci-fi stuff. And then how do we go about that? Do we put that under a license? All of these things are sort of sort of in the air right now. Um, Black Flag is, is definitely a consideration, but it's, um, yeah, we're, we're still weighing that out. Yeah. And, and you're also on uh, Roll20, right? Yep. Yeah, you can, you can, we have our, our actually all three books now, our compendiums are all and we are working with Roll Twenty uh, right now. Uh, there's no <laughs> no timeline in place, but hopefully soon uh, that we're we would we're actually going to have that compendium uh, to be um, interchangeable with with everything else that's that's in that's in the Five E compendium, which was the goal of Espergenesis to begin with. So that would broaden a lot of. Uh, a lot of options for our world. Wow. That, that's a lot going on, Rich. So I want to thank you for taking the time to, to co-host with me this week. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. This week. Absolutely. This I also want to thank all our listeners. I want to thank our patrons who keep the lights on for us. A special shout out to our Master of Realms uh, patrons are in our show notes. And our Master of the Multiverse patrons, they get an extra special shout out on the show. So thank you, Graham Ward, James Walton, Matias Valero at Twin Portals, Joe Tyler, Krishna 
Simon says that I can't spell his name or pronounce it. Chance Russo at Drago Russo. Falcon Neal, Sean Molly, the Micro Ant. Eric Mengi, Post Fiction RPG Audio. Travis Lee, Brian King, Sean Hurst. Page, or Ben, let's do it in the reverse order. Paige Lightman and Ben Heisler. Andy Edmonds at Nerdronomicon. Robin Dermy, Darren Chandler, Evil John. Steve Bissonette and Craig Bailey. Thank you to all of those who are supporting us through our Patreon. If you would like to support the show, please consider supporting us at our Patreon at patreon.com slash masteringdnd. You can also leave reviews of the show on Apple Podcasts or on YouTube. So, Rich, where can people find you and your work? Uh, you can find me on uh, on Twitter. I am at Skydon1. Skydon and the number one. Uh, you can find uh, our game at uh, espergenesis.com and our other products at alligatoralleyentertainment.com. Uh, we do publish uh, some some other 5e content and, and other games aside from Espergenesis, including uh, Witch Hunter the Invisible World. True story. Uh, you can... You can uh, find me uh, on uh, Instagram at espergenesis5e, and I think that's all I have. All right. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at MasteringDnd. We're also on Mastodon, the show at Dice Camp, and me at Tabletop Social. And you can, of course, always go onto Patreon and onto YouTube to find us here. So... Now, Rich, we have wrapped up our look at Aspergenesis. What are we going to do now? Uh, we're going to go and kill some sentient robots. There's nothing better. <laughs>